If you have your Bible, we're turning to Psalm 55. Psalm 55 this morning. To a precious portion of the Word of God. And whenever you find a place, we're just going to still our hearts again and ask the Lord to speak to our heart because this word that the Lord has laid in my heart is an unusual word. Most of what Bertie has prayed this morning is about this message. Many things that he said on Wednesday night is in this message this morning. At least two people that prayed in the prayer meeting prayed what's in the message this morning. And all that tells me is that God has got something to say. It's very well the preacher finding it. But my dear people, unless we hear it, because many people hear, but very few people hear. And I want you this morning to ask the Lord to give you ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord will say to every one of us. Let us bow in a moment of prayer. Father, we bow before thee this morning. And Father, even what we have heard in prayer and as we have heard read from this book, we feel that we could just stop the meeting, Lord, and it would be enough for us to act upon. And Lord, we pray that you will come by thy divine spirit, thy help and thy power. And Lord, we pray that you will move in hearts this morning. We pray for that deep, conscious sense of God. We pray that you will remove every distraction from us. And we pray that you will settle us down in thy presence. We need your help. We pray for that endowment of the Spirit of God, that your word will come with weight and with power. We ask it in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. As you study the Scriptures and you go through from Genesis to Revelation, you lift out Men and women, as we talked about the last Sunday morning where we hear that we're mightily used by God. Out of all the individuals in the Scripture, there was only one person that God could say, He is a man after mine own heart. And He will fulfill all of my will. That's none other than David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And sometime you get your Bible, and I trust that you read your Bible, and I trust that you study your Bible, even at home, and get to know the Scriptures. But sometime you study the life of David, and you look at this man that God could say, it's one thing for a man to say it, but whenever God can say it about an individual, he is a man after mine own heart, and he will fulfill all of my will. As you look at David's life, let me give you a little outline for a moment. You'll discover something about his battles. He was a man of war. You'll remember whenever he was just a young boy and he was out in the hills of Judea. Then whenever he penned Psalm 23 and he was minding the flock and there he had that mighty battle with the lion and the bear and he defended the flock. Whenever he was a stripling, only 17 or 18 years of age, when all the soldiers of Israel were hiding and cowering in the rocks and in the caves, 
He went down into the valley of Elah, and there he gathered the five smooth stones out of the brook, put them into his shepherd's bag, slung it over his shoulder, and went down. It says he ran to meet Goliath. And David could cry, the battle is not mine, but it is the Lord. You'll remember whenever he was a young man and he was hunted as a flea and as a partridge across the hills of Judea by Saul, And whenever the enemy, the Amalekites, came into Ziglag, and they came and they burned the city, and they took the women and the children and all of the livestock, and whenever David came back, he saw the smoke of the city ascending, and it says that David inquired of the Lord, and he pursued and he recovered all. He was a man of the battle. He was a man also of blessing. This man, it seemed to be, in his going out and his coming in, God had his blessing upon him. And not a bit wonder he could say in Psalm 86 or 68, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Here was a man that was blessed of God. I can tell you, dear believer, this morning, there's no greater place that a person can be or an assembly of God's people can be than under the blessing of God. But you know, there's not only the battles and there's not only the blessings, there's the blunders. And the best of us here this morning know all about the blunders. What a blunder it was whenever David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back Twenty long years in the house of Abinadad, and he went after the presence of God, but he went about it the wrong way. And he brought the ark and he put it upon a cart. And God made a breach in Israel that day. You see, you can do the have the right motive, but you can do it the wrong way. And I can tell you, my dear people, this morning as our brother Bertie has prayed and how he felt like just making an appeal after we heard it. My, we can pray for revival and that's a good thing to do. But you know the right way to go about revival is just simply to get right with God. He did the right thing in the wrong way. And then, of course, you'll remember whenever the the kings were out at battle, the time when armies went out to fight that King David lay in his bed. And he rose in the afternoon and he went over to his porch and he looked out and he looked down and he saw a woman bathing herself on the rooftop and mind you, she was just to blame as much as he was. What a blunder. But you see, whenever you come to Psalm 55, and this is a chapter that I have been just enjoying for the last week, Whenever you come to Psalm 55, it's not his battles. And it's not his blessings, and it's not even his blunders. Whenever you come to Psalm 55, you'll see King David and his brokenness. He was a broken man. And I'm glad this morning that the fourfold ministry of the Lord Jesus that he talked about in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel and he has sent me to heal the broken in heart. And you could be in this meeting this morning and unbeknownst to anyone else, even to your husband or your children or the people in front of you or behind you, you could be sitting here this morning with a broken heart My old grandfather used to say a doctor can heal a bird with a broken wing, but he can't make a bird sing with a broken heart. 
This psalm that we're going to look at this morning is a very different psalm than the other psalms because there's different types of psalms. There's psalms of praise. You remember the mighty 34th psalm, whenever David says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come, let us exalt his name together. It's a psalm of praise. And then there's times in the Psalms when there's Psalms that are prophetical Psalms. Psalm 22, Psalm 110 that we heard about last week. And on and on we could go. But whenever you come to this Psalm, it's not a Psalm of praise. And it's not a Psalm of prophecy. It's a Psalm of prayer. And we're going to look at this morning a prayer of a broken man. We're going to delve into the closet of a man that was broken and shattered by his circumstance. This man had plenty of gold. He had plenty of fame. This man had plenty of prosperity. But he also had a broken heart. This is Sam was penned whenever Absalom, the son of David, rebelled against him. And whenever Absalom threw subtlety and guile, the Bible says he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And this is the psalm, as I said, the psalm of a broken man. And one of the previous psalms, Psalm 31, he said, I am like a broken vessel. And if you ever get a bottle or you ever get a cup, like I do at times whenever you're washing the cups or washing the plates and you drop it and it just smashes, it's shattered. It's useless. And I have to go and throw it in the bin and it's of no value. Very hard to mend a broken bottle. And David said, I am like a broken vessel. If I had a title for this message this morning, my title would be this, Down but not out. Down, but not out. And my dear people, this morning I want to tell you that the fall is not always final. I'm glad that whenever times were down, the Lord Jesus Christ can come. And just as Peter was sinking down into the depths of the Sea of Galilee, it says when he cried, immediately the Lord put out his hand and he caught him. I like that. My, whenever Peter couldn't hold himself up, my, underneath and round about are the everlasting arms. Cast your eye to verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God. That word give ear there is the word to prick your ears. God, I want you to hear me. God, I want you to give me your divine attention. And then look at it again. And hide not thyself from my supplications. Attend unto me and hear me. Now, as I was looking at that during the week, do you not think that's a bit strange? Do you not think that that would be a bit strange for this man of God who seen answers to prayers and new interventions of God in his life, for him to say, God, give me your ear? Does God not always hear the prayers of his saints? No, he doesn't. I can tell you, dear men and women, for over nine months, God never heard the prayer of David. Because the psalmist went on to say, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That word iniquity is the word disobedience, it's rebellion. 
And my dear believer this morning, if there's an area in your life where God has laid upon your heart and you're living in willful disobedience to God, I want to tell you not what Stephen Riddle says, but I want to tell you what the Word of God says. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. Is that why God's not answering your prayer? Is that why God's not moving the way that you think he should be moving? You see, the Lord himself said in Isaiah chapter 1, read it whenever you go home, and verse 18, When ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my face from you. And when ye make many prayers, I will not hear you. What an awful thing. What an awful thing to not have the ear of God. And David knew there was a time in his life, nine months, over nine months, where God had turned his ears away and God has closed his hands towards him and he comes to his place in his life and he says, Oh my God, give me your ear once again. And then he goes on, look at verse 2. I mourn in my complaint and I make a noise. You see that word mourn there, it's the word to be restless. It's the word to be distraught. That word complaint is the word, I'm anxious, I'm troubled, I'm in distress. Is that you this morning? We could write over David as he prays here that he's at wit's end corner. Look at verse 2 again. He said, oh, I mourn in my complaint and I make a noise. That word there to make a noise is the word to roar and I can tell you what he roared. If you look at verse 1, he said, Oh God, can you hear David roar? All his soldiers outside the door. The situation of rebellion in his family and the soldiers outside David's bedroom can hear him beginning to roar. And he said, Oh my God. Look at verse 6. And you'll get it again. Oh, verse 9. Oh, verse 23. Oh God. And here this man of God, he begins to cry. And in verse 4, look at verse 4. Take time and read it with me this morning. My heart is sore pained within me. And that old Greek or Hebrew translation of that is, my heart is continually wreathing within me. Back and forward. Up and down, no rest. Now, what was the cause of that? What was the cause of this man of God who was so mightily used by the Lord and penned over 75 psalms? What was it that brought David to this place where he was restless, he was distraught? What was it that brought this man of God to this place in his life where he was continually, as it were, wreathing and groaning? What was it? Well, I can tell you what it was. And it may be the very same for you this morning. As this man of God, getting old in his days, he looked at his family. Now, if you know anything about the family of David, David's family was marked by strife and division. There was incest and there was murder and there was rebellion. And this man of God, as he looked upon his children... He could say, well, my children haven't turned out the way that I thought they would. And the saddest thing about it all is this. David knew 
that it was all because of his behavior in a past day. I want to say a wee word this morning to parents here. You just be careful how you behave in front of your children. Don't blame the school and don't blame the television and don't blame society for everything. Because I can tell you, dear parent, this morning there's little feet that are following you. And if you don't go to the prayer meeting, don't you expect them to go. And if you don't be in prayer and you don't read your Bible and you don't have reality or I don't have reality of God, how can we expect them to have it? And you see, David knew whenever Nathan came in and said, Thou art the man, he said, The sword will not depart from your family. And David's now starting to reap the little seeds that he'd sown 15, 10, 15 years before. The Bible says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I'm not too sure this morning about generational curses. I'm not too sure about that. I'm not schooled well enough to talk about it. I'll study it maybe during the week. But I do know this, that the Bible talks about generational consequences. Because my dear parent this morning, let me tell you, you and I could sow seeds in the lives of our children that will have far long repercussions long after you and I are gone. And just as our brother Bertie said on Wednesday night, Whenever you and I are in a backslidden, cold state, and I had this pen down on Wednesday morning before our brother Bertie said it on Wednesday night, and that's why I know God wants to say something. Whenever you and I get into a cold, backslidden state, and we fall away from God, let me tell you this, you could damn the souls of your children. That's what happened to David. I tell you what we would need to get again as believers, we would need to rediscover the consequences of sin. You see, the precious blood, and this is what the Lord laid in my heart the other morning, the blood of Jesus Christ will deal with the guilt and the condemnation and the shame of sin Godward. It always covers sin. The blood of the Lord Jesus can remove our sin as far as the east is from the west, but while the blood of Jesus Christ deals with the sin manward, there's always the consequences of sin toward your brother or sister. Whenever the blood of Jesus Christ deals with the sin, as I say, let me say it again, Godward, the consequences are left manward. And whenever David committed adultery with Bathsheba, whenever he killed Uriah, there was consequences that went right through his family. Are you living right before your children? Am I? Those scars that are left, is there things in your life or mine that would need to be put right? Because David knew as he looked upon his family that most of what was happening was because of the negligence that he had as a parent. And the little feet were beginning to follow in the father's footsteps. What about Adam? Whenever Adam was in the garden and disobeyed God and just took of the forbidden fruit, it doesn't seem to be that big. It didn't even seem to be that bad. And yet you and I are paying the consequences of it this morning. What about Achan? Whenever Achan went into Jericho and he saw the gold and the silver and the, the, the garments of Babylon and he brought them back to his tent and he dug a hole and buried them. And his very wife and children died because of his sin. 
I tell you. And here this man of God, he begins to look and he says, Oh my God, I've led my children astray. What about Saul? Whenever Saul killed the Gibeonites, seven of his sons died. And on and on you could go through the scriptures. Look at Gehazi. Whenever Gehazi was filled with, with covetousness and pride, and he was struck with leprosy, oh my God, the man of God, Elisha said, leprosy shall rest upon thy seed all the day. You and I as parents, let me tell you, we need to be careful. We need to be wise. We need to be good examples for our children. And thank God in the Bible, there's good parents like Noah. Noah was a good parent. He got his family into the ark. My, whenever you look at Moses' family, they were good, they were good parents. They got him into the ark. And my dear parent this morning, let me tell you this. Don't pray for your children whenever they're in the world. Pray for them now. Get into the prayer meeting. I'm glad whenever I was out in the world and going mad, I remember my mother and father in the morning and in the night. I remember hearing them pray for me. I remember coming home maybe three or four o'clock in the morning and there was my mother in the front room down on her knees crying to God for me. My dear parent, I tell you that's what we need to do. And here David knew. He knew. And he had the broken heart of a father, but there's not only because of the family, there's because of the foe. Cast your eye to verse 3. Because of the voice of the enemy. Because of the oppression of the wicked. You know, the devil always makes sure that the saints hear his voice. It's the voice of accusation. It's the voice of slander. It's the voice of lies. You see that word oppression there? It's the word to put down. And what the men and women of David's day were doing, they were casting up the past. Did you ever do that? Do you remember what you did? Do you remember where you went and remember what you said? And the enemy can come to us in our daily lives and he can, he can cast up the past. The Bible says that the wicked are like the troubled sea that cannot rest. They cast up the dirt and the mire. And my dear believer, this morning you could be in the meeting and as you began to pray during the week or read your Bible, suddenly the dart of the past comes into your mind, past failures, past sins and past guilt and past shame and all the rest of it. And the whisperer of the enemy will come and he will whisper and cast up the past. And David said it was the oppression of the wicked. Now let me go quickly as because there's not only his family and there's not only his foe, his, there's his fear. This man, David, was gripped by fear. Look at verse 4. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Verse 5, you'll see there's fearfulness, there's trembling, and there's horror. And as I said the last Sunday morning here, one of the most effective tactics of the enemy is fear. He will drive fear into the hearts of God's people. And David, the man who penned Psalm 23, whenever he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, a few years later, he's gripped by fear. 
I'm glad this morning that the Lord Jesus hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And I'm glad this morning because of the work of the cross, because of the shed blood, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that through death he came to destroy him who had the power of death and through deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Thank God this morning if you're a believer and you're gripped by fear, there's one can deal with the fear. You know what he said? Fear not. Fear not. Maybe you have things coming up this week and decisions that you need to make and appointments where you need to go and things that you need to do and you're sitting this morning and you know what it is to be anxious. You know what it is to be troubled and distraught. Well, here's the one that can deal with your fear. Hallelujah. Now cast your eye down very quickly to verse 6. Because in verse 6, David brings all this together. He brings the family and the foe and his fear. And he begins to cry. And I would love to have heard him. I would love to have been one of the soldiers standing guard at the door. And David begins to pray. Verse 6, and I said, oh, oh, that I had wings like a dove. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. And lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy tempest of the storm. Here this man at Whitsand Corner. My, he looks at the family and he's starting to reap the consequences of his sin. He, he looks at the foe and he can hear their accusations. He can hear their slander. He feels the weight of their oppression. He knows something about the inward fear as he lies. He's maybe trembling. He's maybe crying. And he sees the terrors and the fearfulness and the horrors of death. And he sees the enemy closing in upon him. And he comes to the very point of Whitsand Corner. And he cries, oh, that I had wings like a dove. For I would fly away. Is that what you would like to do? It was old Scroggy that said this. He said many times we want to run, but seldom is it the right thing to do. And you could be coming into a place in your life where you want to move and you say, oh, I want to move. I need to move. I need to go to another assembly. I need to go to another job. I need to go to another relationship. My dear people here, David always said this. He said, I want to move, but it's not the right thing to do. Because a change of location doesn't always deal with the situation. And if you and I as believers have wronged another believer, you can run half the country to another church, but you need to go back, go back to where you've wronged that believer. And if you owe a man money, there's no point flying away or running away. You just need to go back. And if you've told lies, go back. And if you've wronged somebody, go back. The change of location, let me say it again, doesn't deal with the situation. Oh, oh. Here was a man that was weary. He wanted rest. There's a young sister in the meeting this morning. I'll not name her. You don't need to know her name. But I was talking to her at the start of the week. You know what she said to me? She said, Stephen... I'm weary. I'm weary. 
Oh, I tell you, I could almost hear from her soul, oh, oh, that I had wings like a dove. Is that not how Elijah felt? My, the man that called the fire from heaven, the man that brought the rain, the man that turned the nation back to God and the, the accusations of the enemy, he ran away out and he says, Oh, Lord, it is enough. I can take no more. Was that not the cry of Paul? And he said, Without were fightings, but within were fears. And he said, all men forsook me. And then he went on to say, notwithstanding the Lord, praise God, the Lord stood with me. Was the Lord himself not weary? Whenever he came to Sychar's well and he leant upon the well, and it says, because he was weary with the journey and the heat of the day, oh, thank God for the blessed master. It was Luther who said this. He prayed, oh, I am utterly weary. I pray thee, oh, my God, come and take me away. Now, just hold on, because there's some of you just like that this morning. And you're about to make a move, and it's going to be the wrong move. Because in Psalm 11, David said this, How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountain, For the enemy, for the wicked, make ready their arrow upon the string. David knew if he was to come out from behind the cover and if he was to come away from the shelter and the safety of the will of God, the enemy would strike him down and he may be just going to do the same with you. You see, in verse 8 it says, I would hasten my escape. He wanted a way out. And again, it was old Scroggy said this, and I thought it was a powerful statement. Because many of us, he said, whenever we're in the trial and whenever we're in the affliction, many of us, and I include myself, he said, we always pray, how can I get out of it? When we ought to say, what can I get out of it? Now, dear mother, in the meeting this morning, you're in the trial and you feel the oppression and you feel the weight of the enemy and you've been praying during the week and maybe this morning, Lord, I need to get out of this. Maybe here's a wee thing for you to pray. Just pray, Lord, what can I get out of it? What do you want to teach me through this? And David, he cried, Oh, I want to escape. I love that old hymn of William Cowper. That man that knew all about depression and he, he wanted to go to London Bridge and jump off and commit suicide. And whenever the horseman and the cart came, there was a, th- a fog came down over London. And the, the horseman and the cart, they got lost. And he, they went on a journey and they come back and he says, Mr. Kuiper, I can't take you to the bridge. And he dropped him off and he was back at his own door and he didn't even know it. And he went into the house and he got a knife and he jumped upon the knife, tried to commit suicide. And after that, he penned that lovely hymn. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his feet upon the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much thread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing o'er thy head. Hallelujah. Oh, can you hear it now? Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Get me out of this. I want to get away. You see, it says the windy tempest of the storm. 
What a gale. It's not only wind and it's not only a storm. It says it's the windy tempest of the storm. Let me drop another wee seed to you this morning. God doesn't always calm the storm. But there's times when he'll give you the grace to go through it. There's not all the mountains in our lives that God will remove, but he'll give you the strength to climb them. There's not all the burdens as we're going to see now that he takes away, but thank God he takes the heaviest end of the load. And here I can tell you, David, David down in despair. Because there's not only his brokenness, and I haven't got time to deal with this this morning, I'll just name it to you in the way past. Because there's not only his brokenness, but there's his betrayal. You see, if you cast your eye and read at verse 12 and 13 and 14 later on today, David's best friend turned against him. Ahithophel was David's right-hand man. And Ahithophel lifted up his heel against David. He betrayed him. He wanted to kill him. And David, while it was hard enough with him, dealing with the brokenness of the foe and the family in fear, the hardest blow that David ever had was whenever his friends, his trusted friends, turned against him. And I can tell you, and our dear brother knows all about that. And many in the ministry know what it is for those that once would stand with you to turn their back upon you. And I tell you, it was all the cause of David's brokenness. And I trust this morning, if you are a friend, you'll be a good friend. Be a good friend. Because I can tell you that David called Ahithophel his familiar friend. They worked together. They worshipped together. They walked together. They ate together. But you know, while David was familiar with this man, as our brother Bertie said, oh, thank God, God's speaking this morning. Ahithophel was an unfaithful friend. My, this man Ahithophel had bitterness in his heart against David. And for 15 long years, he waited for his opportunity of revenge. You see, Ahithophel had a granddaughter. And she was a lovely little girl and she grew old and she was just like any grandfather's apple of his eye. And she married, she married a soldier. And there was a day in the life of his granddaughter whenever David broke his granddaughter's marriage. Because Ahithophel's granddaughter was Bathsheba. And David the king broke into that relationship and defiled his granddaughter and killed her husband. And Ahithophel got an anger and a resentment in his heart against David that was festering for 15 long years. And while God had forgiven, Ahithophel hadn't forgiven. Let me tell you a wee word this morning. If somebody says something to you, and they do it out of correction. Don't you hold bitterness in your heart against it? If someone has done something unto you and you say, I'm sorry, in any name, forgive them. I tell you, my dear friends, one of the biggest problems with all of us is we, we don't like to forgive. And we don't like to forget. And for 15 long years, David says he has lifted up his heel against me, my familiar friend, my faithful friend. He's turned against me. And whenever you lift your heel against somebody, you know what you want to do? You want to crush them. And whenever Hithophel found out that Absalom had rebelled against David, you know what had happened? 
He says, now's my time to get him back. My dear believer, if that's the mentality that you have, if you have a mentality in your heart or mind to get revenge on another believer or to put them down or to crush them because of something that they've done or something even that they've said against you, let me tell you, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. My, David was wounded in the house of his friends. You know, that's exactly what the Lord was. I can tell you the biggest blow to the Lord was not whenever Judas betrayed him. He knew that Judas was going to. The hardest blow for the Lord was whenever Peter three times denied him. My, the man that was on the mountain, the man that was at Jairus' bedside, the man that seen all the miracles of the Lord, seen him in the garden at the last moment of his life, denied him. And whenever the Lord Jesus came, it says he looked at Peter. What a look. I'm telling you, dear friends, this morning, and I was singing it during the week, I found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He's the lily of the valley, and him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. Sing it with me. In sorrow he's my comfort. In trouble he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here. While I live by faith and do his blessed will, a wall of fire about me, I have nothing now to fear. With his manna he, my hungry soul, shall fill. Thank God there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now, there's not only his brokenness, and there's not only this man's betrayal, there's his burden. Psalm 55, cast right at 22. And he brings the whole situation together. He brings the family and he brings the foe and he brings his friend that has betrayed him and denied him. And he cries, I can hear him cry on his knees with the tears coming down his eyes. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. I tell you, dear people, that's the answer to the burdens of life. That's the answer to all of the accusations of the enemy in our lot, whatever it may be, and whatever your burden is, whether it's financial or mental or material, whatever it may be, I can tell you, you can cast it upon the Lord. And you can roll it from your shoulders onto another's shoulders. And I'm glad he's able to bear the burden, for it says, who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree. Let me expound it for you as a close. Cast, oh, what a picture. That's the word that is used when a fisherman casts a net. That's the word that is used whenever a ship drops the anchor. It's the word that is used when an athlete throws a javelin. It's to let go of it, give it over to God. Maybe you have something that you need to let go of. And then he says, cast thy, thy burden. What is it this morning? What's your burden? What is it? What's that thing that whenever you get down to pray, it's there? 
What's that thing whenever you come into church that always seems to be there? What is it whenever you lie at bed at night and you can't get to sleep and the burden is weighing heavy upon your soul? It's just your burden. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. That's what Peter said. Casting all, not just some of it now, casting all thy cares on him for he careth thee. Roll them all over to the hands of the Lord. Give it all over to him. You remember in John 4 whenever the woman came out of Samaria and she met the Lord. You know what it says? She left her water pot behind. She left the burden with the Lord. I tell you, dear believer, this morning you're ready to move. You're ready to flee. You've had enough. You're at Whitsand Corner. You're weary. Just cast thy burden upon the Lord. And he shall sustain thee. I'll close by saying this. Never a trial that he is not there. Never a burden that he does not bear. Never a sorrow that he shall not share. Oh, moment by moment, I'm under his care. Never a weakness that he does not feel. Never a sickness that he cannot heal. Moment by moment, in woe or by weal, Jesus, my Savior, abides with me still. Never a heartache and never a groan. Never a teardrop and not even a moan. Never a danger but there on the throne. Moment by moment, he cares for his own. And I can tell you in Psalm 3, whenever David was going up the side of the Mount of Olives and Absalom was coming to kill him, you know what he said? Thou art the lifter up of my head, and thou art my shield. Have you a burden you need to let go of? Have you a brother or sister you need to forgive? And I'm not saying shaking their hands, say I forgive you, and then still having unforgiveness in your heart. I'm talking about the real deal. I'm talking about loving that person and having a right spirit with that person. May I tell you, is there a betrayal that you need to deal with? Uh, Cast it all upon the Lord, and he shall sustain you.